Welcome once again, and, and uh, you know, there's some days where it just kind of just kind of feels like we're in a living room here, doesn't it? Just kind of feel at home. So we're, we're just glad you're here, and we pray that, that you've been encouraged today, uh, so far that, that you leave today feeling loved and, and, and welcomed here. Uh, are you ready for spring? Oh, my word. Oh, my word. I am so ready for spring. I played tennis this week for the first time since October. Well, no, not October. When did it snow? And then it was like the death snow for the rest of it. Like December, early December. I think I played late November, somewhere around Thanksgiving. And uh, my wife and I love tennis, and so we wanted to play so much, but there wasn't any daylight left, and so we parked our car and we shined our lights on the tennis courts over here on Polk and uh, played tennis. So it was the first time I got to play tennis in a long time, so I'm in a good mood. Um, I'm terrible, but I'm learning. So uh, spring means a lot of things, and uh, hopefully for you, you're excited to, to get renewed and refreshed. Uh, and in the church year, spring means that we're coming up uh, on Easter. And as Christians, this has got to be the best time of the year. We have the greatest news in the world, that Jesus is here, and he came into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, which we're celebrating today, and a week from today we'll be celebrating uh, his resurrection. And so uh, the, Jesus is coming into Palm Sunday, as Laura just read, for the, the final week of his life. He's, he's riding on a donkey as a humble servant, and we know that the crowds welcomed him in like a hero. And then it was it's these same crowds that welcome him in as a king that a week later would be yelling, crucify him. And we are those people. And so the purpose of Holy Week is not just to, to celebrate and to kind of go through it. It's to kind of get ourselves into the story a little bit and to say, well, what would have it been like if you were there? If you were one of those people that saw this king of the Jews, this Messiah fellow coming in and, and riding on a donkey. Don't you think if a king was coming, he'd have a coming on a big white horse with a big sword, you know, a conquering king. Instead, our king, Jesus, comes riding in on a donkey. And, and you know, may or may not know exactly what was going on on Palm Sunday, but we do know that the crowds were yelling a few things. And one of them was Hosanna. And another one was uh, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And you may, uh, may or may not know that Hosanna is just a Hebrew expression for save. And so basically they're, they're waving these palm branches to Jesus saying, save, <laughs> save. In other words, we're desperate, right? We need a savior. Save us, Jesus. We, we welcome you here. And so I thought just in case you were a little bit groggy this morning getting up and just in case you weren't feeling so awake, we're going to have ourselves a little bit of a Palm Sunday uh, celebration. There's a reason that you have these palm branches. They're not just to poke each other with. So we're going to do a little uh, call and response here uh, this morning. In traditional Lutheran churches, this would be called uh, a liturgy or something where the leader says something and then you respond. But I don't want you to just say it. I want you to yell it like you were there on Palm Sunday. You think we can do that? You gave each other high fives last week in the middle of church. I think you can handle this, okay? So, Hosanna basically means save, and blessed is he uh, who comes in the name of the Lord. So, um, here's what we're going to do. There's going to be three parts to this. I'm going to say, in the scripture reading for today, uh, it says that first they yelled Hosanna. So, I'm going to be that part of the crowd. So, I'm going to yell Hosanna. And then, this kind of half on either side of the projector here. So, from from you folks over here, you're going to be group one. And you're going to say, you uh, you have the tough part. I'm sorry, it's, it's a little bit longer, but I think you can do it. Uh, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Let's try that. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. One more time for good measure. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Okay, that's your part. Got it. Now, your part's a little bit easier. This side over here. All yours is Hosanna in the highest. Okay, let's try that once. Hosanna in the highest. One more time. Hosanna in the highest. 
Okay, now, just to make sure you're awake and to mix it up a little bit, we're going to have you stand up when it's your part and wave your palm branch, okay? Because the people that welcomed Jesus in on Palm Sunday, they weren't sitting on padded chairs, okay? They were out there and they were taking off their robes and their cloaks and throwing them down and welcome them in. So I'm going to start it and yell Hosanna and then you're going to do your part, okay? And I want to hear it. I want to I blow the roof off the place, okay? So let the neighbors know that it's Palm Sunday here at City Branch, okay? So... I might mix it up, so be ready. I may not go in order, so you've got to remember your line, but I'll always say Hosanna first, and then I'll wave my palm branch at a certain side, okay? So let's try it. Hosanna! 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 One more time. Hosanna! All right, nice job. Good job. Get your blood moving a little bit now. Okay, you're getting into it a little bit. Okay, hang on to those. We'll probably use them later on. The band may have a song or something that you'll need to wave those on at the end. Who knows? So the purpose of Palm Sunday is not just waving palm branches. The purpose of Palm Sunday is not just to go through the motions, but for us, today is the day that Jesus is coming to town. You've heard, you know, Santa Claus is coming to town. Jesus is coming to town. And Jesus is coming, and we know that because we know the end of the story, it's the last week of his life. And that this is the week of Jesus' life that is going to change everything. And so when Jesus is coming to town, we want to be ready. And it's what we've been talking about uh, during Lent. We're, we're leading up uh, to Holy Week as it culminates this week. We're, we're, we're preparing our hearts for these last 40 days for Easter. And we've been talking here on Sundays about spiritual disciplines. And it's, it's, uh, I was thinking about this and spiritual disciplines are in one way related to Palm Sunday is that we're kind of waving our palm branch and saying, save, right? Save because I, I can't change myself, right? Spiritual disciplines are God working through us. It's God moving through us, not what we do ourselves, but what God has already done. And in a way we're saying, save, (laughs) we're waving our white flag and saying, that's it. I'm tired of trying to figure out life by myself. God, I, I, I need you. And so we've talked about a lot of these different uh, disciplines. And I think, yeah, we've got a list up there. Uh, but for the most part, when you look at that list of disciplines, when you think about them, one of the first things that comes to my mind is they're very private, right? Like when you think about spiritual disciplines, you know, prayer and fasting and reading scripture and confession, all those things, those are all very private things, or at least they can become very private things. But I want, what I want to challenge us a little bit today is, uh, is to challenge one of those false perceptions that, um, and I think this is one of the obstacles that can prevent uh, not just this church, but any church from reaching its full potential, is when we start to believe that it's really all about us. And that applies to spiritual disciplines as well, that, that, that faith, is, faith is really just kind of my personal thing. It doesn't really have anything to do with a community. And so we start to slip into that mindset, um, especially with spiritual disciplines, that our, our faith and our salvation are things that, that we've just kind of received from Jesus, and we're kind of doing that one-on-one with him, and it's just our own private business. I'm not really an outgoing person. It's, faith is something that's just private to me. Because, because I want to feel comfortable in that. And so we kind of create this me-centered Christianity. But the problem is, if we know anything from Holy Week, Jesus did not come to make you comfortable. He came to make you holy. 
Jesus came to make you like his son, and that's not always comfortable. And as you've been hopefully going through some of these spiritual disciplines during Lent, hopefully it's shaken you up a little bit, right? For some of you standing up and waving a palm branch in church, it's getting under your skin a little bit because that's not normal. It's shaking you up a little bit. And that's kind of what our hope has been during Lent. But the problem is Jesus did not come to make us comfortable. He came to make us like him. And he lived a life that was very attractive to those who needed good news. And so today's topic, our, our discipline that we're talking about today, is going to really fly in the face of this individualistic mindset. Because whether you've heard it or not before, evangelism, or sharing the good news of, of our faith, is a spiritual discipline. And right away when I say the word evangelism, some of you are like, shut it off. I've heard that before. I'm not, I'm not that kind of person. I'm an introvert, so I'll just kind of tune, tune you out. Hold on. Something may surprise you. Because when we think about it, why would we spend all this time talking about spiritual disciplines in training and practice and preparation if we're never going to play the game? If we're never actually going to get in the game and experience the life? Did you catch the UNI game this past week? I had one of the guys from one of our, our men's small groups over to watch it with me because if I watch it by myself, I'm just going to tear the house up. Well, I kind of did too. I'm just watching. You know, when there's close games like that, I got the, our coffee table and I'm just banging on the coffee table the whole time just like, come on! Like being a basketball player myself, I just want to get out there and like just do it and like win the game for them so I don't have to, to wait. But, but, but I kept on ranting and, and saying how, how incredible. I mean, even, even when they were losing... I kept on ranting to my, to my buddy that this is, this is incredible. And do you, do you understand? Because he's not definitely a basketball fan. And so I'm trying to explain to him the significance of this, that, that, that you and I from Cedar Falls with an enrollment of only 13,000 is, is playing on national TV on a Friday night. I mean, try to get your head around that. I mean, that is exciting. How often does that happen? And, and, and half the team is from Iowa, and these, geez, these corn-fed Iowa boys are beating the best teams in the country. I mean, this is incredible. And so uh, what a story, just right there. What a story, regardless of the outcome. And you have to believe that after they lost a lot of the pain and a lot of the, the heartache and the disappointment is, yeah, they lost a basketball game. But it's the end of a very, very long journey for this team. Because they've been together, especially the seniors, for four years. They've done life together. They've done everything together. And so now they go back. And you have to believe that their lives are never going to be the same, right? I mean, on the cover of Sports Illustrated, how many people get to do that when they're 20 years old? right? Their lives are never going to be the same because of this experience. And so uh, this experience, it's, it's going to change them forever. But a year is going to go by and five years are going to go by and 10 years are going to go by and they're going to get older and they're going to get married and they're going to have kids and they're going to have grandkids. What if the story never gets told? What if they just kept it to themselves Oh, that was just our thing. We, we, you know, we went to Oklahoma City and we beat the number one team in the nation. Oh, ain't no thing. And then we went to St. Louis. And, you know, we just kind of moved on with our lives. You know? And they're sitting there, I can imagine, with their grandkids. Grandpa, tell me about when you were a ball player. Oh, it was nothing. It's, basketball's more of a, just a personal thing to me. You don't, you don't really need to know about it. Now, how silly does that sound, right? These 10 guys shocked the world. I mean, this was incredible. And it's going to change them 
forever. But what if that story never got told? What if Ali and, and, and Adam Cook and Jordan Eggleseeder just went home and, and, and told everybody, oh, it's no big deal. Basketball is just more of a private thing. I'd, I'd rather just keep it to myself. I mean, you've got to be kidding me, right? That'd just be ridiculous. I believe that these guys are going to be telling their friends and their family and their grandkids for years to come because this experience changed them. How could they not tell the story? And so why would it be any different for us who have the greatest story of all time? Why would it be any different for us who have the greatest news to share with people? It's evangelism, and that's the heart of it. It's telling the story. It's the story of God. It's, it's telling the story of what he's done in our lives, of how he's changed us. Let's read this together from Acts. This is Jesus' uh, words for the early church, but let's read this together. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. You notice Jesus doesn't say, you will be my professional evangelists. You will come up with these big sweeping stories to tell your friends about how amazing of a Christian you are. He says, be my witnesses. In other words, you've seen something. Just like those thousands of fans that went to see the UNI game. They witnessed something and they're going to go back and tell people how incredible it was. They don't have to make up the story. The story already exists, right? We're just the tour guides. We're just the witnesses. And we say, look, did you see what Jesus did? I mean, that's what Holy Week is all about. And that's kind of the heart of evangelism. You're the ones that get to tell the story. You're the church and you have the greatest mission in the world. Don't ever forget that. But I wonder if we really do believe it. If it's really gripped us. Because somewhere along the line, I'm afraid that evangelism's gotten kind of a bad rap, right? I mean, just when I say that, a little part of me still even just kind of cringes a little bit with this kind of awkwardness and this weirdness. I'm like, I don't really want to do that. Evangelism kind of become almost a dirty word. Like, I don't, I don't really want to say that. Um, but somewhere along the line, evangelism no longer became witnessing to an incredible story. It kind of became this thing where we just kind of say, uh, you know, I'd actually rather go through three more months of winter than have to do evangelism. <laughs> you know, I'd rather hear fingernails on a chalkboard than have to share my faith. I mean, that's, that's the way that some people view this. And so I wonder what, what has happened? What has happened to where when I say the word evangelism, Christians think, oh man, I don't want to do that. And non-Christians think, oh, please don't make me into a project. Right? I mean, that's kind of on both sides, right? People that are saying it and people that are receiving it. What has happened to such a beautiful thing of just telling a story? The reality is that for many of us, sharing our faith is just kind of um, plain old painful and just really awkward. And so have you ever heard some of these responses? whether we're talking about sharing our faith or telling our story of, of how God changed us or even just inviting someone to church, right? Do I need to? Does it really matter? Do I really have the right to share my views? I, I just don't really care today. Or I just feel so guilty about not sharing my faith. Like I feel like I should be a better Christian and do that more. I'll just... You know what, I'll, I'll just let somebody else do it. I mean, why even share my faith in the first place? Isn't, isn't that just kind of an optional part of being a follower of Jesus? Isn't that just kind of on the side for those special super 
Christians. With those things in mind, I want you to break out into your pods for the first question. And if those of you are on the ends, just need to swing your chairs around. And I just want you to talk about one question. I want you to be brutally honest with each other because there's nothing to hide here. Uh, what's the first thing that comes to your mind when you think about evangelism? Go. All right, let's go ahead and wrap up. Um, I want to hear, I want just everybody to hear what, what were some of the things that were shared. Just kind of one or two words, just kind of yell them out. What do, you, what do you think of? What first comes to mind? Pushy. Judgmental. Telling them what to do. Door to door. Door to door. Okay. Evangelists. What's that? Important. Okay. What else? Criticism. Yeah. What was one back there? Money. Money. Yeah. Well, I want your money. Yep. Hypocritical. A gift. Okay. Anything else? Judgment. Yeah. Wow, sure makes you want to get out there and evangelize, doesn't it? It's got a bad rap, right? I'm not just up here shooting blanks. I mean, this is the truth, right? I mean, if we're really honest with ourselves, it's, it's, it's not the prettiest thing in the world. And so uh, it's not just for us as individuals, but for many churches, uh, it's rough. Uh, this whole thing about sharing our faith, uh, even inviting someone to church doesn't, doesn't look good. There was a recent study done... Oh boy, this is probably a while ago now. I mean, I think some of it still applies. Probably seven or eight years ago. And they, and they polled uh, Lutheran Lutherans, okay? And this is all across churches. So uh, a little bit more contemporary Lutheran churches like Hope is and a little bit more traditional churches um, that have a little bit more traditional forms and ways of doing church. But across the board, uh, they were asked the question, uh, would you consider inviting someone to a church gathering? And so they had different, you know, they kind of summarized all this together. It wasn't just worship. Like, would you consider inviting somebody to your small group? Would you consider inviting someone to uh, food or dinner at somebody's house, part of the church, right? Any of that, okay? So they summarized that all together, and here's what they came up with. And this is amongst Lutherans across the board. So this is not like people that aren't in the church. This is like active people that are a part of the church, like all y'all, all right? So these, these sorts of people, okay? So across the board, across the country, they found 20% were said, eh, maybe, uh, I don't really want to, okay, reluctantly. 30% said, uh, not sure, like, I, I'm sure there was some, I don't really care, doesn't matter, what's the point? 40% would actually refuse. Okay, this is a real survey, like, I'm not just throwing this up, I can give you the data later, but 40% actually refuse. And then they did, I don't have this one up there, uh, but they did another question. How, how often have you invited someone to church? Okay. So across everybody. So they took all that and then they found the average once every 15 years. Average. Okay. So some people less, some people more, but on average, once every 15 years, the latest research that a lot of researchers in the church world have done is that for someone that, that doesn't really give a rip about church and you're inviting them like a friend or family member or coworker or someone, it usually takes about three times on average for somebody to finally say, yeah, I'll come for the people that do come, right? It's not the first time. Okay. Invite them again. Maybe some of you had experience with that, but it usually takes three times of inviting someone to get them to come. And then you follow that up with the stat that I just gave you that normally Lutherans will ask somebody, invite somebody to church once every 15 years. Those are scary numbers, aren't they? It's going to be really hard to get the news out when that's what we're up against. And I don't think it's just about Lutherans. 
Because this is a problem all across the board. We know something's wrong, that when the very heart of God's mission is something that Christians hate to do, (laughs) there's a problem with that. But I think there's good news, and here's the good news for us today. There is so much more to evangelism. Because it's about God setting us free rather than giving us a burden. Because the hinge of this entire conversation, if you don't hear me say anything else today, hear this. The main point, and if we can get this, it'll change our entire perspective of this question. What if evangelism wasn't something that we do, but instead who we are? What if evangelism wasn't something that we do, but it was who we are? And what if a church, what if for a church, evangelism wasn't a ministry of the church, it was the very reason they existed? That's why we don't have an evangelism committee at City Branch. Because you're it. Everyone. Because it's our job. And so, what if, what if, what if evangelism wasn't about having all the answers, about, about arguing somebody in, in, into it and, and beating them over the head with theology and doctrine and, and scripture and trying to, trying to convince them of something or giving a speech? What if instead evangelism was about being yourself? What if evangelism was God saying to you, would you just be yourself? Would you just be who I created you to be and let my spirit and let my life move through you? And that sounds a lot more exciting to me because I'm still trying to figure out who I am. And I think all of us would say that. Evangelism is just being yourself. And I think the thing is, if, if you would believe, I believe it, I think that so many of those misperceptions that you just yelled out, if not all of them, I think are because we answer that question wrong. Because we see evangelism as something else that we do or something that we kind of need to snap on and say, boom, I need to go to, into evangelism mode now, right? Instead of it just naturally flowing out of you and who you are. And so I think if we look at it as that, and I think if we look at it as Christians, that we make people projects instead of people, that's where we go wrong, is if it's an extra thing on top of it. God says, just be yourselves. And what he really means is let the life-changing love of Jesus that lives in you already naturally spill out of you. And live as someone that's been changed. So often we forget that. That Christianity is just kind of like a little boost. Like we talk about amazing grace and it's just kind of like, eh, it's a little boost. It's just a little pick-me-up. Christianity changes everything. For the early Christians, it was everything. It changed their lives. It changed everything about the way that they lived. Let's look at this verse from 2 Corinthians. Therefore, oh, I don't have that one up there. Sorry, I'll just read it to you. Therefore... If anyone is in Christ, he is a, what? New creation. New creation is not just a little tweak. I'm still my old self with just a little tweak. You are a brand new person, and God has something, God done something drastic in your life. Some of you that are here today, God's something, done something drastic in you. You're not the same. You're totally different. Your new life that you have is your evangelism. Your changed heart that's inside of you is your story that you get to share with each other. You you don't have to convince people of things. Nobody can take away your story from you. That is the truest thing about you. How God, this is who I was, this is what God did in my life, and this is who I am. That's the truest thing about you, and that's the heart of evangelism. And of course, Jesus... uh, tells us that that this isn't just about words, it's about how you live your life. And he tells us this this powerful piece of identity in Matthew chapter 5. You are the salt of the earth. 
But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men. So notice that Jesus doesn't say, uh, you can be salt if you feel like it, if you want to, if you have time to be salt. He just says, you are salt and you can choose whether how salty you want to be or not. You are light, you can choose how bright you want to be. But if you're a follower of Jesus, you are salt and you are light. And so the question for us is, is there anything about our lives that's salty? What about your life brings flavor to the world around you? Does, does what you do stand out, not because I'm trying to stand out, but because it causes people to stop and essentially say, wow, that tastes great. You know what I mean? That your life, like we talk about taste and see that the Lord is good. How are people going to taste it if it's not salty? Shake, shake some salt on it. Say that three times fast. Shake, shake some salt on it. That's your job. You bring flavor to the world. There's something, there's something about that person that makes me want their kind of life. And that's a gut check for me. I don't know about you, but that kind of makes me stop and go, ooh, is that me? What, what kind of questions are people asking about my life because of the way that I live? And I'm, I'm really praying about this because instead of just thinking about, about evangelism as, as giving some big fancy, fancy speech, or I wonder if it's more about the answers that people would give to these sorts of questions. Why does he have so much joy? Why does he serve his wife so well and make her feel like the most important person in the world? Why, why is she always thinking about the customers instead of just making more money? Why, why, why is that couple, why, why are they so real and honest all the time? Why, why is he always serving here at the church and, and, and helping with such a, such a grateful heart like he has nothing to prove to anybody? Why, 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 are, why are they always opening up their home to others and inviting them over? Why, why, why is that? I mean, you get the picture. In other words, when you're connected to the source, when you're connected to the vine, you're going to bear fruit, right? It's going to be natural. When you're, when you're producing fruit in your life, people ask questions. It's about living a life where you earn the right to have something to say because of the way that you've lived your life? Are people asking questions about you? Or would they say, oh yeah, I know Bob. Yeah, he's a good guy. Or they say, oh, there's, I, just can't, I just can't figure it out. What, what is it about Bob? There's, there's something different about him. Let's read this together from 1 Peter chapter 3. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. Always be prepared. It's not if you're an extrovert, always be prepared. It just says always be prepared. So what are you teaching others about Jesus without ever speaking a word? What gospel are you preaching by the way that you live your life? And so, so, much, so many of the spiritual disciplines can be a private matter. But Jesus says, I, I want you to pray and I want you to read scripture and I want you to serve and I want you to tithe, not so that you can just be a good little Christian and show off, but that so you can stay connected to the source who wants to live his life through you to spill out on other people so that they'll ask those kind of questions for the hope that you have. Notice people 
We don't want people saying, um, wow, they've really got all the answers. They've really got it all figured out. Uh, wow, they don't seem to have any doubts or fears or anything about, about being a Christian. Uh, wow, all their, their family is just all perfectly well-behaved and everything, and they come in and they're bright and chipper all the time, and wow, all the relationships in their life are just perfect. Wow, that, I want to live like them. You know, people aren't attracted to that, right? If I stood up here and told you a story about my life, about how I figured something out and about how good I am, you'd be like, zip it. But if I stand up here and tell you a story about my life where I screwed up, but God did something through that, you're like, oh, yeah, totally. Then we see the head's nod, and people are digging that, right? It's the same thing for you. Evangelism about you being perfect. It's about saying, this is the broken person that I am, and this is God working through me. Okay, so let's do this. Let's break one more time into our, into our question groups if you want to swing your chairs around. And this one, I want you to think a little bit deeper, right? We're talking about being salt and being light. And I want you to get real specific. I want you to ask the question, what is a relationship that you have uh, in your going as you go throughout your life? Jesus says, go and make disciples, right? In the, the, the Greek, when Jesus says, go and make disciples, that's our job description, all of us. When he says, go and make disciples, go actually means in your going, right? He's not saying, do something else. It means in your going. So Jesus is assuming that we have a job. He's assuming that we're, even if we don't have a job, that we're going through our day, we're meeting people, we're going different places, that we're going to the gym, that we're going to the rec center, that we're going to art class, that we're picking up the kids, that we're doing this. In your going. So what is a relationship that you have in your everyday normal life that God may be calling you to more deeply invest in? And what I mean by that is not spill it out and beat him over the head with the Bible, to love to invest in, to develop a relationship within that could develop into a relationship where one day you could say, hey, why don't you come to church with me next Sunday? Okay? So it may be way on down the line from that, but I want you to get really specific. And you don't have to share their actual name. You can if you want. But what is a relationship that you feel like God's calling you to invest deeper in? And then the second question, what might be holding you back from inviting them into a church community? What are some barriers there. And when you get that person or people in your head, I want you to write them on your bulletin. I want you to write them down uh, on the notes part there. And I want you to take that with you because we're going to pray for them. So circle up and tackle those two questions. Go for it. All right, let's go ahead and circle back up. Got those people. Make sure to write them down so you don't forget them. I want you to take that with you. So I know that, that as we're talking about this, a lot of you are saying, yeah, I get that. I get that, I get that that's our job description. I get that God is, has put his spirit into all of us, that it's not just the super Christians. It's not just those that have got it all figured out. Evangelism is sharing my story. It's, it's, it's having joy in my life that's going to overflow onto other people. But I know a lot of times we can talk so much in church about what we need to do, that, that we need to invite more people, that we need to be telling more of our friends and neighbors about our faith. But for a lot of us, the issue is not because we don't know that we should. The issue is not because we don't know necessarily how to invite someone. I think a lot of us could do that. I think the issue that for a lot of us is that we really need to get our hearts back. I think for a lot of us, that joy, like we talked about last week, it's not there. And if this hasn't changed you, if this news hasn't gripped you in the depths of your soul, why would you want to bring somebody into it? Right? 
I think for a lot of us, we need to get our hearts back. We need that restoration of that joy. And so I want you to watch a quick scene from a film called Mr. Holland's Opus. And uh, Mr. Holland is a high school band teacher, and he's got a clarinet player. Maybe some of you remember high school band and what that was like and how to learn an instrument and how frustrating it was. And he's got a clarinet player who seemed to forget how to just play the song. He's got a clarinet player that seemed to just kind of forget the joy of music. Not looking at the notes, but playing the song. And when you watch this clip, I want you to think about, just flip my faith for the clarinet. Just switch those two in your mind and ask, God, what are you showing me in this scene? Let's take a look. I'm giving up the clarinet. I'm just, I'm just goofing everybody else up anyway. So, um, I just wanted to say thanks. Thanks for trying. Is it any fun? I wanted it to be. You know what we've been doing wrong, Miss Lang? We've been playing the notes on the page. Well, what else is there to play? Well, there's a lot more to music than notes on a page. These guys, for example. Now, they can't sing, and, and they have absolutely no harmonic sense, and they're, they're playing the, the same three chords over and over again. I love it. Do you? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Why? I don't know. Yeah, you do. Because it's fun? That's right. Because playing music is supposed to be fun. It's about heart. It's about feelings and... <laughs> moving people and something beautiful and being alive and it's not about notes on a page I could teach you notes on a page I can't teach you that other stuff do me a favor pick up your clarinet and play with me okay and this time no music oh, what? because you already know it it's already in your head and your fingers and your heart. You just don't trust yourself to know that. Okay. Here we go. Ready? One, two, three, four. Okay, let's do it again. And this time, not so much lip on the mouthpiece. Okay. One, two, three, four. Mm -hmm. 
No, no, no. Don't do that. Let me ask you a question. What? When you look in the mirror, what do you like best about yourself? My hair. Why? Um, my father always says that it reminds him of a sunset. Play the sunset. Close your eyes. One, two, three, four. Folks, play the sunset. Please, please do not get so worried about going through the motions of Christianity that you just play the notes on the page. Did you notice what he asked her? Is it any fun anymore? And if that's you today, if that joy has just been stolen out of you, if you, if you had that, but you're like, I don't want to share my faith because there's nothing to share. <laughs> because there, there's nothing exciting that's happened lately. I need a fresh encounter with Jesus. He wants to give you that today. He wants to make you into the kind of person that has a story to share. Every single one of you does. Do you notice what he said to her? You don't have to go looking for it. It's in you. It's in every single one of you. You have a story to share. It may not be some big dramatic moment where God knocked you down and you heard his voice or something like that. God's changed you. God's done something in every single one of you. You have a story to share. So stop worrying about the notes. And play the song. Play the song and make it beautiful. And live your life in such a way that attracts people to it. That says, wow, that's beautiful. I want to be a part of that. I want to be a part of that. That's what evangelism is all about. Because playing music is supposed to be fun. And being transformed and shaped by the God of the universe is not always fun. But there's nothing else like it. It's the life that we're looking for. Don't lose the song. Get your heart back. Get your heart back. Is it any fun anymore? I want you to take that home and I want you to wrestle with that. Mr. Holland says, I can't teach you to play this song. I can't teach, I can't teach you to play the song. I can teach you the notes. And I just saying, I can't teach you evangelism. I could stand up here and rattle off. Here's the five ways that you can evangelize to someone. I can't teach you that. God's got to put that fire in your heart. Play the music. Play the music. It's your story and it's messy. And I know that for a lot of you, when you think about your story and where you're at right now, it's messy and it's broken and it's painful and it's hard. And you might think, what is God going to do with me? 
He not only loves you more than you'll ever know, he wants to use you. He can use you, and he will use you. And so I'm going to have Paul come up and just play a little bit for us uh, a song. And in your bulletin, when you came in today, I want you to just slow down for a second here. Just take a deep breath, and whatever you're thinking about today, whatever you got going on, I want you to just slow down. I want you to take out that note card that's in your bulletin. And there should be a pen underneath your chair, and if there's not, there should be one right next door. And I want, to, I want to challenge you with this. I want everybody to write this down. I want you to write your story in two sentences. This is who I was. This is what God did or is currently doing. We're all in process. And this is who I am. And I want you to write that down. If somebody came up to you on the street and says, what is it with you? What is it with you? You go to church, right? What's that all about? I want you to tell, tell your story in two sentences. Nobody's going to see these unless you want them to. But I just want you to take a little bit of time and write your story. I want you to think about it. When Mr. Holland asked her, what do you like most about yourself? It's her hair because it reminds her dad of the sunset. What, what's your sunset? What's the beautiful thing that God's done in your life? And I want you to hold on to those, and we're going to use them uh, at the end of the service today. So just take some time and think about your story. And as you've got that note card in your hand, I want you to know that God's given you that unique story for a reason. And so I would love it if you would invite someone to Easter. But more importantly, I want us to get our hearts back. And maybe you have or maybe you haven't, but that story that you hold in your hands, is that's where it is. That's the, the life that God's put inside of you because evangelism isn't something that we do, it's who we are. Invite people to Easter, but more importantly, go invest your life in somebody this week. If they don't come to Easter, that's okay, but that doesn't mean that you stop loving them. Invite somebody to Easter, but please, 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 more importantly, go and make disciples. In your going, go and make disciples and tell them your story. It's not complicated. Just tell them your story. Let's make disciples this week because it is Easter and because every single day can be Easter. So I just want to take some time to pray uh, and thank God for those stories and to to pray over those people that you talked about uh, in your small groups. Um, a little bit ago. So let's pray together.